This episode had puking. Yes. That episode had puking and bleeding nipples. <laughs> You're going a step up. Step up. <laughs> step up, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to Electric Enthusiasm, a podcast where we celebrate unironic enthusiasm. I am Katie Cobalt, and I do like roller coasters, but I hate waiting in line. That's a, that's a tough beat. Mm-hmm. Tough beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm Alexander Kielov, and I think this episode is going to have some wild ups and downs and some crazy twists and turns. <laughs> is it going to be an emo- emotional roller coaster? Is that what's going to happen? It, it could be a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. Oh, I'm excited. We'll see. <laughs> Alex, tell us how this works. In each episode, one of us presents a topic that they love, but that the other one might not know as much about, and then tries their best to spread that enthusiasm to the other host and to you, the listener. And of course, occasionally we have guests on who are excited about something we know nothing about. Then we have the moment of meta, where we nerd out about enthusiasm itself and talk about why it matters and how you can live a more enthusiastic life. (laughs) because <laughs> the world needs more enthusiasm um, and you should share yours with us on our website electricenthusiasm.com or our Instagram at electricenthusiasm tell us what you're excited about these days you can even play an old send us an email at hello at electricenthusiasm.com yeah yeah <laughs> today's topic is roller coasters Katie where are you at you said you, you like roller coasters you I, like them yeah I do there's a theme park here in Hong Kong called Ocean Park and I remember waiting to be tall enough to go on the roller coasters because I'm, I'm really short and I've been short my whole life my brother shot up and he was so tall but he didn't like roller coasters and that felt like the biggest injustice in the world <laughs> I remember waiting to be tall enough to go on the roller coasters I really like them I don't know much about them or I don't have any further knowledge. If I go to a theme park, I want to get on the roller coasters, but I'm not like actively, I'm not actively enthusiastic about roller coasters. (laughs) I am passively enjoying them, I think is the best way to put where I am on the roller coaster enjoyment spectrum. Got it. Do you have a favorite roller coaster that you've tried? Um... I don't think I've been to any like famous ones or any ones that are like iconic. So my favorite one will always be the Abyss in Ocean Park here in Hong Kong because it was like the one that I was so excited to be on. It's it's just one of those that goes straight up and down, but it was always so Mm -hmm. much fun. It was like the biggest roller coaster when I was a teenager. And so we're all like so hyped about it. So I think there's more sentimental value attached to it because I've definitely been on more excited roller coasters since. I'm not actively going out there and getting on their rides, but I feel like maybe after this, I'll be inspired. Who knows? <laughs> so we like to start with facts first here on the podcast. So Alex, what exactly should a person know about roller coasters? This seems like a very broad topic. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I looked up the Wikipedia definition because I think we all have like a mental image of what a roller coaster is. Mm. But the thing is they've changed so much and there yeah. are so many different kinds of roller coasters that the Wikipedia definition is just super vague. Um, here it is. A roller coaster is a type of amusement ride that employs a form of elevated railroad track designed with tight turns, steep slopes, and sometimes inversions. That is very broad. So that then, is would very this broad. straight up and down be a roller coaster? Uh, technically not. That would be a form of gravity ride, uh, which is a broader category. Most roller coasters would also be gravity rides, but okay. one of those like, uh, upshot towers or whatever you yeah. want to call them 
Yeah, those are not technically roller coasters. I feel like by the end of this, we'll have a Venn diagram. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Rabbit rise, roller coasters, not roller coasters. Yes, we should make them. <laughs> make one. I'm so genuinely curious. Why are we talking about roller coasters, Alex? Two reasons. First of all, I love them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they're a lot of fun to ride, and I do go to amusement parks around the world whenever I get the chance and, and try all their roller coasters. I think they're amazing and so much fun. I didn't used to like them, and we're going to talk about that, but now I love them. And of course, they're a fascinating topic in itself. There's the history, the technology, there's an arms race in roller coasters. We're going to talk about that, but I also want to use it as a springboard to talk about fear because roller coasters wouldn't be fun if you weren't afraid of them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about that, that, that tension between fun and fear mm -hmm. and doing things that actually scare you. Um, yeah. Because roller coasters are a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Ooh, exciting. I, I'm feeling the emotional roller coaster. It's like we're cranking up now. <laughs> like, you know, the first part of the roller coaster where you're slowly cranking up the hill. That's, that's the feeling. Exactly. That's the feeling. Exactly. And, and in that spirit, let's start with the history of roller coasters. Yes. Um, would you happen to know what roller coasters are called in French? Coasteron? <laughs> That's a very good guess. <laughs> Entirely wrong, but a good guess. They are called Montagne Russe. They're called Russian mountains. Why Russian? Because the first gravity rides were created in Russia in the 1600s. Oh. So those crazy Russians built a 20 meter tall tower and a wooden ramp, a very steep wooden ramp going down from that tower, sprayed water on it in the winter. Uh, the water froze to ice. People would uh, climb up the tower on stairs, get in a sled at the top. Somebody would push the sled over the edge and you'd go down 20 meters and then you'd coast to a stop over the next 200 meters. Whoa. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're crazy fast. So those were the first sort of proto roller coasters. Yeah. Yeah. That got imported to France. Of course, winters aren't as cold in France. Yeah. So the sled was on wooden rollers instead, hence roller coasters. Uh. In French, it's Montagne Russe. In Spanish, it's Montagne Russa. Uh, similar in Italian and Portuguese. Romance languages. Funny story. In Russian, they're not called Russian mountains. Of course not. They're called French mountains. They are called Amerikanskie Gorki, which means American slide. <laughs> this is like, have you ever heard of Singapore noodles? A fried noodle dish with turmeric. Um, most places around the world in Hong Kong, they're called Singapore noodles. But in Singapore, they're called Hong Kong noodles. <laughs> so confusing. Yeah. So confusing. Which reminds me of uh, syphilis. I'm so intrigued to hear the segue here, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in England, syphilis is the French disease. Uh, and in France, it's the something else disease. Yeah. Just blame, blame it somebody else. Keep blaming other people. Whoever you hate the most. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so roller coasters have been around for a long time. These French first roller coasters were from the early 1800s. The three oldest still operating roller coasters in the world are the oldest is uh, called Leap the Dips. It's in Pennsylvania and it's from 1902. No, 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 would not get on that. <laughs> nope. The second oldest is the Great Scenic Railway. It's in Melbourne. It's from 1912. And the third oldest is right here in Copenhagen. Uh, it's called Rutschebanen, which is just Danish for the roller coaster. 
and it's from 1914. Um, it's right in the center of Copenhagen. It's in an amusement park called Tivoli. The amusement park itself is from 1848, oldest still running amusement park anywhere in the world. And Wuchibane is from 1914. It is so old that it still has a brake man sitting on the train with a brake lever to control the speed as you go around the track, because that's going to vary depending on the weight of all the riders. Terrifying. I've been on it many times. It's a lot of fun. And you're not dead. And you're very not dead. Still very much alive. It's a great little roller coaster. Oh, cool. Yeah. So when I come visit you, um, it's not it's not optional. I'm probably going to have to get on this roller coaster, aren't I? I will twist your arm and make you go <laughs> on it, because it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So old. How do you know? Like, I'm, I'm assuming like they've updated it. It's not the exact same. They've They've things, right? They've made it safe. Uh, they, I, I would assume there's uh, a constant maintenance. That's very much a theme for roller coasters is that you okay. have to maintain them all the time or they break and, and bad stuff happens. Yeah. I feel like the bad stuff is coming to this podcast as well. No, no, <laughs> we're going to stay away from that topic. Uh, I can, I'll let people Google uh, like roller coaster accidents on their own. They're incredibly safe. And every country has a government agency that's in charge of overseeing amusement park safety. Mm -hmm. And they have safety standards for the different kinds of rides. They're incredibly safe overall. Uh, but at the end of the day, they are, uh, you know, multi-ton uh, vehicles moving at high speed. So shit goes wrong occasionally. But I, we're not going to talk about that today. <clears throat> so <clears throat> that was the history of the roller coaster. They've, they've been around for a, a long time because people love that kind of thing, right? Uh, we love going fast. And we love that thrill. The next thing I wanted to talk about is the arms race because people started building these roller coasters. And what happens almost immediately after that is that somebody has to build something bigger. Yeah, of course. This also feels like very much the human condition. Like, you made big thing, I make bigger thing. You make best thing, I make faster thing. Like, very human condition. Yes. And uh, especially in the latter part of the 20th century, there was a, a, an actual arms race going on between the different amusement parks, especially in the U.S., but also around the world. So if, you know, this amusement park builds something crazy, and then for the next season, their neighboring amusement park has to build something even wilder and weirder. It's been going on forever. For instance, one of the big uh, revolutions in roller coasters was the loop. Oh, like doing like a little loop-de-loop. Uh-huh, exactly. Ah. Ah. How did they figure out how to do that? <laughs> well, the first looping roller coaster was at the end of the 1800s, so safety standards were a lot uh, less strict back then. Uh, so I trial and error, I would assume. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, yeah. And it gets worse, though. If you want to put a loop on a roller coaster, you're probably thinking like a, a perfect circle would be good, right? I would think more like a, a balloon shape with like a pointy end. Yes. Like that's what they look like. They're, they're pointy. Exactly. And the reason they are is that this means that at the bottom of the loop, when you go into it, when you're going really fast, uh, the turn is gentle. Mm -mm. And then at the top, when you've slowed down a lot, the turn is tighter. Um, and then yeah. as you pick up speed coming out of the loop, the turn is again more gentle. That's yeah. how you're supposed to make a loop. Uh, the first looping roller coaster did not do that. It was from 1896. It was in Coney Island in uh, New York. It was called the Flip Flap Railway. And it had a perfectly circular loop. And they described the G-forces that they're, they're, they're kind of like getting in a car and purposely driving it into a wall. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> also, I was waiting for you to mention Coney Island. The second we started talking about historical roller coasters, I had in my head I was like, 
Coney Island's gonna come up at some point. Yes. Sure. The second looping roller coaster is also from Coney Island because they looked at that and they're like, that's bad. So they actually figured out that we need an elliptical, like you say, balloon shaped uh, loop because that's what all the looping roller coasters look like these days. So somebody built the Loop the Loop. Hey. Um, it was called the Loop the Loop. Yeah. Which did make some money from people buying tickets to ride it, but actually made most of its money selling tickets to spectators to watch the people who wrote it. Because <laughs> people would have been too scared to write it, right? And so they just want to watch. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. But also it was still pretty brutal and, and dangerous because the cars rode on actual tires. <laughs> so there was nothing holding, holding the car to the track. If you lost speed at the top, you'd fall straight down. Good <laughs> Lord. Also, question. Um, do you have any photos or do you know what it looked like for the spectators? Because... My understanding of roller coasters are they're pretty big, right? So like unless yeah. you have a giant curtain hiding it for the other people who haven't paid to spectate, why why can't you just like stand nearby and watch? Yeah, I did see a picture of it and the loop itself was behind a big wall with a gallery uh on on the inside where you That's could stand amazing. and watch. That's hilarious. That's some good old-fashioned American entrepreneurialism right yep. there. There you go. That likes a P.T. Barnum are well in there. Yes. So this arms race has been going on for ages, and they keep getting bigger and wilder and crazier. By the way, of course, you know about the IMDb? Yes. The International Movie Database? Yeah. We talked about it a couple other day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ever heard of the RCDB? The roller coaster database? Is yes! a roller coaster database? <laughs> yes. I love the internet. If you think of it, it exists. Exactly. So on rcdb.com, they have an entry for every single roller coaster in the world. And they have stats for every roller coaster. So without looking at the stats, Katie, what do you think are would be some of the most important stats for, for these roller coasters? Um speed? Yeah. Number of, of like inversions. Yeah. Height. Absolutely. Um. Best photo taken of participants <laughs> when they're in incriminating positions. Uh, that's not a category, but it absolutely should, should be. be. <laughs> yeah. How many percent of people puke immediately after getting <laughs> off it? <laughs> um. Yeah, those are the ones I can think of, like height and speed and like number of like loop-de-loops or upside-down moments. Those are the important ones. There's yeah. also one called drop. Uh, so what's the tallest drop on the roller coaster? Because one thing is how high is it, but what's the actual drop? Uh, yeah. There's length, how long is it, and what's the duration? Mm. Um, so the RCDB is just a fun place to go look up stats for different coasters. I like how you knew that I was immediately looking up. <laughs> <laughs> I know you, Katie. I just want to see, like, if they have the Hong Kong ones on there. Hong Kong's not even on here. Rude. What? It might be under China. They do that sometimes. It might be. Rude. Mm. Yeah, it's under China. Rude. Yeah. Um, the arms race has resulted in some truly frightening roller coasters. Try looking up the one called the Top Thrill Dragster. Top Thrill. Also, can we just say Top Thrill Dragster is a fantastic name? Yes. Oh, of I course agree. they have POVs. Oh, of course they have. Look at the some of the stats. Uh, good lord, that's terrifying. 
It has a vertical angle of 90 degrees, which is kind of terrifying. Straight up and straight down, baby. So crazy cakes. Okay. Um, it looks like you see the curvature of the earth from this photo. Anyways, um, <laughs> the length of it is 2,800 feet. It's 420 feet high. The drop is 400. Oh, hang on. I'm sorry. The height of the roller coaster is 420 feet and the drop is 400. So there's 20 feet just of like getting the roller coaster off the ground. And then the drop is almost all of the That's terrifying. Yeah, so that's because this one is a little different. Many roller coasters have like a lift hill that you go up first. Yeah. And then you go over the first drop. This one doesn't. You just... This one actually launches you horizontally from zero to 200 kilometers per hour in four seconds. How? How? Yeah, the uh, hydraulic launchers. <laughs> yes. Then you go uh, 130 meters straight up, like vertically up. Then you go over the top and then you go 130 meters straight down and the ride is over. I've been on it several times. First time Patricia and I came off it, I could not stop laughing for five minutes. She could not stop crying in a, in a good way. Yeah. Um, and we immediately went back in line and did it all over again. <laughs> it's currently the world's second tallest roller coaster. How long does it take? How, how like, because you said you're going at like what, 200? Yeah, the entire ride is like 25 seconds. Wow. Yeah, and it's complete sensory overload. Just the acceleration horizontally is crazy. Then you go straight up. And then for a very brief moment, you're at the top and you're looking, you know, like 130 meters straight down. And then split seconds later, you're at the bottom again. And it's, it's, it is insane. Fun fact, when people get on the train, they weigh it. So they know exactly how fast to launch the, <laughs> the, the, the train. So it only just makes it over the top. Occasionally, it doesn't. Occasionally, what? they give it too little speed and it'll come back down towards the station. <laughs> but that seems kind of exciting, though. Also, I found a POV video of the roller coaster. It's insane looking how, like, the acceleration looks really fun. Also, you do, like, a little twisty twisty yeah. on the way down, which is super cool. Yeah. That's an example of where the arms race has, has gotten us. Mm. There's one in California where uh, the car is a little different. So you're not actually sitting in the car. The yeah. cars, uh, the seats are next to the track and the seats can spin uh, as the roller coaster goes along. Yeah, that's, that's terrifying. Why? Oh my God, yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the arms race, right? The latest innovation is VR goggles. And yeah. I actually tried that. In the Tivoli Amusement Park here in, here in Copenhagen, there's a very nice little roller coaster called the Demon. It has three inversions. Very cool. Uh, very smooth. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's very nice. Very charming. Very sweet little roller coaster called Demon. Yeah. The Demon. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Demon. You can actually ride it with VR goggles on. There's a, a Chinese part of the amusement park. And it's, it's in the Chinese park. Yeah. Cute. It's Chinese part of the park. And uh, there is a whole little movie that you get to watch that is timed with the movements of the roller coaster. Yeah. Where you're flying on a dragon and you're, you get attacked by, yeah, yeah. Uh, it made me so sick, like oh. so nauseous. Yeah. Because it wasn't perfectly timed. So yeah. my, my ears were telling me one thing. My balance uh, system was yeah, telling yeah. me one thing and my eyes were telling me something else. And it made me like really dizzy. I did not enjoy that at all. But... The arms race is constant. They're constantly coming up with new technologies. That's just fascinating. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's always fun seeing how new technologies get adapted. Like, for example, I don't think the guy who invented virtual goggles was like, you know, what's going to be dope for roller coasters. 
No, probably not. Right? Like, I love it when people take things from other places and bring it in to be like, hey, we can make this part of our thing and make it super cool. I mean, maybe not quite perfect yet, sounds like from your experience, but progress, development. Exactly. Exactly. We're getting there. (laughs) Another thing that fascinates me about roller coasters is the fandom. Because there are actual fans who are very passionate about roller coasters and theme parks in general. Sure, of course there is. Yeah, the biggest and the oldest fan club is called the ACE, the American Coaster... Explorers? Try more, more us. Enthusiasts! It's us! (laughs) (laughs) Yes! The American Coaster Enthusiasts um, has been around since 1978. They have their own magazine. They do tours uh, inside the U.S. or to Europe or around the world to visit different theme parks and try all the coasters. They have events when a new coaster opens. They get in line and they try to be there as some of the first people to try it. Yeah. Uh, Or they get early access because they have really good connections with a lot of these uh, theme parks. Yeah. There are roller coaster award shows. There's something called the Golden Ticket Award Shows, which is an, an, an industry award show. One of the awards is Best New Coaster of the Year, that kind of thing. But something that's really important is that people collect coaster credits. So how many coasters have you been on? Have you uh, been on the world's fastest coaster, the world's tallest coaster, the world's yeah. whatever coaster? Yeah. That. Have you been to this park? How many parks have you been to? That kind of thing. Yeah. Got to catch uh, them all kind of thing. Like you got to like collect experiences. I like that. That's better than collecting things. It's collecting experiences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like that. And one of the things they will do is they will exhaustively review different coasters. <laughs> there are like long video reviews, long text reviews online of every coaster you can imagine. Yeah. One of the things they'll do is they will ride the roller coaster several times in different seats. So it might matter if there are a lot of twists. It might matter if you sit in the inside seat or an outside seat. It really matters if you sit in the front row or the back row. In the front row, you get a better view. But in the back row, you get more airtime. If there's like a bunny hill, so not the first hill, but like a later hill where the the train goes over a little hump, Mm -hmm. up and down, the front of the train will be going slower as it goes over the hump. Ah. But then the train goes over and, and gravity sort of pulls the train along so that the back row will actually be going over the hump faster okay. and will experience more airtime. It's called where you're launched out of your seat and you're weightless and then you come back down. Oh, uh, okay. So where do you prefer to sit in a roller coaster? What's your preference? Uh, I really like the front row because then you get the view when you're, you're coming up over the crest of the first hill and you're looking straight down. Yeah. I'm a very visual person, so I really enjoy that. Also, I imagine the benefit of being able to see clearly is probably a lot bigger. I don't imagine the amount of airtime you get between the front row and the back row is like significantly that different. Like oh, it obviously can be. to someone who's like a super enthusiast who's been on the ride a thousand and one times. Yeah, that's probably a huge difference. But for someone yeah. like a casual and general enthusiast, maybe probably not wouldn't a huge be difference? that noticeable, no. And if you're not that used to roller coasters, you're probably going to be on sensory overload anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'll end up laughing and crying incessantly for two minutes, regardless. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
I just love that there's this very enthusiastic fandom yes. around roller coasters. I think they're amazing. I've got a lot of great inside info on theme parks and roller coasters from watching their reviews. All right. Yes. We love an expert talking about the thing that they're an expert in. Yes, always. Always, always, always. And these people are so excited. Uh, there are videos of them getting early access to a new roller coaster and just a whole train filled with these people on their first ride of it. And they're, yeah, they, they get really excited. Mm -hmm. um, there is one topic that we can't avoid talking about when we talk roller coasters. And that is, of course, puke. Lovely. Yes. After my VR experience on the Demon roller coaster, I very nearly did puke. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a little clip. I'm not going to show you somebody puking, but our favorite TV show, which is The Good Place. The Good Place had a reference to that. Oh, it's the one where it's just like from season one where she's cleaning up. Janet, I'm finished with cleanup and I'm ready to fly. How do I start? Hop on the launch pad and conjure an image that brings you pure joy. Some people think of their wedding day or favorite vacation spot. People puking on roller coasters. People puking on roller coasters. <gasps> it's working! <laughs> Ow! What the fork? Puking on roller coasters. Ah, oh, Eleanor Shellstrop. Anyways. Yeah, so puke, aside from obviously bringing up our favorite TV show, why? Because it happens. I have been in line for roller coasters and I, I saw this guy just get off, walk to the nearest uh, trash can and just puke. Lovely. Have you ever thrown up after riding roller coaster? I've not. I have, I have not. Yeah. Uh, I've been close uh, a couple of times. So the VR one, that was, that mm. was a close call. Never actually thrown up though, uh, yeah. but it, it happens. Uh, I think I think that's hilarious. Uh, I can enjoy it when it happens to other people. I can. <laughs> there's a certain element of Schadenfreude. Yeah, <laughs> and also that means that's a good coaster, right? Uh, this is intense. This is uh, quite the experience. Yeah. Or it means that the guy just scarfed down a, a, a corn dog and a milkshake before we went on. Like. Yeah, or he's drunk or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just went, it happens. It's perfectly natural. I think it's part of the experience. It never happened to me yet, but I guess it could. But given that it's so intense and you, you might puke, why do people do it? Uh, what's the attraction? Katie, what do you do that scares you? What do you like doing that, that actually scares you a little? Competing. Like dance yeah. competitions. You have that like love-hate relationship with performing and competing. Well, no, performing I love. Performing is like that fear. That's a fun fear. Competing is a different fear because there's people actively judging you. There's something intrinsically absolutely terrifying about going up there and being like, this is the art that I made. I spent a lot of time working on this art. Please, please be kind. This is my heart and soul for the last year. Thank you. Um, and it's terrifying because you know people are actively judging you. So yeah, that is the thing that gets me terrified. And what's great about it is that if I'm really sleepy and I don't really want to have some caffeine because it's late in the day and I'm tired, if I just watch an old competition video, that gets the heart rate going, adrenaline. <laughs> like I get secondhand nervousness from watching myself compete. It's great. It's super useful. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, a, a jolt to the old system. It really does. I still get nervous watching myself dance. I think that's a great example. Can you describe your fear curve? So there's leading up to the competition, there's during the competition, and then there's right after. Yes. How is the fear curve? Okay, so prepping for the competition, all excitement, like getting the choreography together, working with somebody else or a couple of people and like putting stuff together, figure out costume, so fun. You're at the event. Ah, 
that's like this it starts it starts shit gets real like again it's like cranking up on the roller coaster ride you're cranking up and you're just like oh god oh god the moment before you get on stage is the worst particularly if you have to wait like if there's other people who are performing before you and you have to wait i don't like waiting we talked about this um there's one of two options either you watch the other competitors and get an idea of what the field is like i cannot do that that is the worst idea the only i'll I'll only watch if it's Niels and bianca because i want to see how fucked i am I can't watch it. Like, that's too terrifying for me. Seeing what other people are bringing, seeing other people's art. Like, I cannot. I will watch the video later. Thank you so much for your art, but later. Um, we should uh, we should mention who Nils and Bianca are, just for those who are not. They are two of the best Lenny Hop dancers in the world, in my personal humble opinion. They're also shockingly lovely. They're so, Bianca is the nicest person on the planet. She's beautiful. She's talented. She's lovely. I like you you cannot hate her. She's just so wonderful and kind and generous and sweet and talented. It's awful. Uh, <laughs> I hate those I hate those kinds of people. Right? <laughs> um, uh, and I think the the like the peak of the fear is standing on the stage waiting for your music to start. Uh-huh. Where you're like what if I forgot everything? Oh my god, I'm going to die. Can I die now? Will the ground swallow me whole? Oh my god, everyone I respect is in this room and they're watching me now. Okay, cool, cool. But then you're dancing and you're doing the choreo. If it's going well, this is like flying. I remember feeling like nothing can stop me. This is the happiest moment of my life. Like looking at my friends, looking at all our stupid, dumb faces. And I was like, this is the greatest moment ever. And then the choreo finished. And I was like, I stood up. I remember this. You can actually see it. If you go to the ILHC Powerpuff routine, the second mm-hmm. the choreography is over, I start jumping up and down like a child. <laughs> Because I was so happy. I was so happy it was done. And I was so excited that it went well. Give it up for the Powerpuffs, everybody. From the United Kingdom. Who's having a sleepover? No big deal. The Powerpuffs. Like, I only had minor fuck-ups. I didn't see what the other two girls did. From where I was sitting, they were flawless, as always, because they are flawless. Uh, and I just start jumping, and I'm just, like, hyped. Um, yeah. yeah. And, like, yeah, that's the that's the fear curve for me. Like, up until the moment where you're dancing, it's terrifying, and I hate this, and why do I do this to myself? And then it's great. <laughs> And and that's and that's every time, right? It's not like you oh, learn yeah. for the next for the next no. conversation, and you can you can be chill and relaxed, right? No, absolutely. Every single time you have that fear roller coaster to go on. Yeah, I think that's actually really instructive, and that's a lot like roller coasters, right? Because when is a roller coaster really scary? Standing in line, it's being locked into your seat, and then it gets worse and worse and worse as you go up the first hill. So that's been my experience, and I used to be deathly afraid of roller coasters. Yes, I did. Um, I, I, I didn't go on him. One time, Patricia convinced me to go on the old one in Tivoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will's third oldest still operating roller coaster. And I have the same experience, right? Going up first hill pretty bad. The rest of it, really, so really fun. fun. You're flying. Yeah. From there, I sort of trained myself on bigger and bigger roller coasters. And the same experience, right? Terrifying going up the first drop and the rest of it is just pure fun. Yes. And I think that's a really, really interesting lesson in fear. 
Because mm-hmm. uh, imagine that you had chickened out, right? At, at the very last second before the music starts, you're like, this is too much. I can't take the fear. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run out of here uh, and not compete anyway. You know, imagine if that was how you lived your life in avoidance of, of that kind of fear. I did that once. What? Yeah, I don't know if there's a video of it, but one of my first ever solo jazz competitions, it was like the biggest space I'd ever danced in at the time. I was very new to dancing. I made finals. I was very excited. I did a smaller competition earlier, and my friend told me like, hey, Katie, you looked at your feet the whole time. Maybe try not doing that. Like, maybe just like look up. And so I looked up, and I looked around the room, and I saw, I don't know, like 300 people staring at me. There's music playing. And no one else is dancing. Because when you're in a solo jazz competition, you have the audience and you have the participants. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you are the only person moving. Do you have any idea how crazy it is to be in a room full of dancers and be the only person dancing? It just seems silly. And so mm-hmm. I stopped dancing and I walked to the back of the lineup and I didn't go out again. Like, <laughs> I just stopped. I was just like, oh, I appear to be wrong. Everyone else is not moving. So I think I should also not be moving. And so I think I like a little fishtail. And I just went to the back and like, so yeah, I have done many, many solo jazz competitions since then. But man, hit rock bottom every now and then. It feels good to come away from that. Like I'm, I can never do worse than that. Like, yes, I found ground floor. <laughs> it was hard, but I found it. It's o- only up from there, mate. I have a, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have a mental image of that gif of Homer Simpson disappearing into the bush. That's what it felt like. I was just like, no one should look at me right now. Why are you all looking at me? You're crazy. Yeah. And imagine, <laughs> imagine a person who does that every time they come up against something scary, right? Imagine how many cool experiences you cut yourself off from. Imagine how many opportunities you're going to miss if you mm-hmm. can never do things that make you afraid. So let's talk a little bit about the nature of fear. I really enjoy roller coasters now. They still scare me. Mm-hmm. They still scare me. And, mm-hmm. and I still get that feeling going up the first hill uh, that uh, I have a little trick, though. I, I do this metal thing where I, in my head I say uh, in Danish, I say the show, the show, the show, which means uh, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. <laughs> Uh, and it actually works. I'm reminding yeah. myself that I'm doing this because it's fun and it's scary right now. But in just a second, it's actually going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my little trick. Interestingly, people do uh, things to make uh, roller coasters even more scary, like put up your arms. If yeah. you hold on to the to the uh, restraints, you can't move as much as in your seat, and it's not as scary. If you have your arms up during the ride, the ride becomes scarier. Yeah, uh, I am absolutely a screamer. <laughs> <laughs> I will scream my little lungs out on a roller coaster because uh, that makes it even more fun. Yeah. Uh, and also, I couldn't. I don't think I could stop myself. Yeah. And also, like, why would you stop yourself? That seems silly. Don't stop yourself from having fun. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I looked up some articles on the psychology of fear and mm-hmm. why people uh, consciously do things that scare them, like watch horror movies, which I know you love so much, right, Katie? <laughs> I don't like. I just. <laughs> Okay, roller coasters, not a big deal. Haunted houses, even, sometimes I can do those. But I can't do horror films. Like, I just, I don't, like, I feel like you're going to explain why to me, but I think this is going to be one of those things that I'm just not going to comprehend. Like, it'll yeah. be, like, one of those things where I'm just like, that is such an interesting thing that other people experience. Other human beings with their different perspectives are so weird. And I feel like this is going to be one of those moments. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of horror movies either. There are some good ones. Um, 
What horror movie has traumatized you the most? It's, you know, it's really fucking sad. It's stuff like Scary Movie 3 will give me nightmares. <laughs> it's not even like good horror movies. <laughs> That's hilarious. Like, I really, really wanted to watch Get Out, uh, the Jordan Peele movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I knew, I, I wanted to watch it because I knew it was a good film. But I was like, I had to prep myself. And I've realized the way I can watch a horror film is under very specific conditions, which is low volume, other mm. humans around, like not alone. Uh, and I also have to read the entire Wikipedia article of the movie and the plot <laughs> beforehand. Uh, and like read reviews as well. Like I need to know exactly what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And like if there's a jump scare, I need to know exactly when it's going to be so I can steal myself. Um, but yeah, I don't. I just, mm-hmm. I'm squishy yeah. marshmallow, squishy marshmallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question is, why do people do it anyway? Whether it is, you know, roller coasters or skydiving or horror movies, why do people seek out things that scare them? And psychologists say that there are three reasons why they do it. One of them is distraction. You know, in that moment, you're not thinking about your exam next week or your problems in life or whatever. In that moment, you're super focused on whatever it is that's scaring you right now. Mm -hmm. That can be a good experience to have. Another reason is that it can be a very social experience. Like you say, watching a horror movie with others means that there can be a jump scare. Everybody's like, ah! Um, And then you look over and the person next to you is actually laughing. And then you cuddle them for strength. (laughs) Exactly! So it it can be a very social experience. People often go to haunted houses in groups because then you can have that experience together. So that can be another reason. And the third reason is that the feeling itself, that feeling of arousal, can actually be quite pleasant, mm. um, especially during and after. Maybe not so much before, but during and after can actually be a lot of fun. Yeah. There is a fascinating study on this called the Capilano Bridge Study. Uh, have you ever heard about that? No, never heard of it. Okay, so this is from the 1970s, and they wanted to know what this, this fear does to people. There's a walking bridge, a hanging bridge in, I think it's in Washington State, called the Capilano Bridge which is pretty terrifying. It's like loose and it's swaying. It's over a gorge. There's a long drop. So what they did was they planted a female volunteer at one end of the bridge and she would stop men coming over the bridge and ask them, you know, I'm a psychology student. I'm doing this survey. Would you like to help me? Yeah. They would fill out a a form, whatever. And then she'd say, oh, by the way, if you have any questions, here's my phone number. Uh, Feel free to call me. And then the experiment was how many of these men would actually call her and ask her out on a date like they were interested in her. Yeah. Um, And they did the experiment two ways. One of them was after this swaying bridge. And the other one was after they had crossed a different bridge that was completely stable. So no no fear response involved. Yeah. And it turns out that the men who just crossed the hanging bridge were way more likely to call her up and ask her out on a date because they thought she was hotter because they mistook their arousal from the fear yeah. for arousal at the sight of her. Yeah, uh, It's called misattribution of arousal. This explains why so many horror movie dates exist. Exactly. Exactly. Or you could take your date to an amusement park and ride mm-hmm. the, the crazy thorough rides. Yeah. So there's definitely that going on. This arousal, this, this heightened sense of, you know, of excitement. Is there also a sense of like safe risk taking? 
like when you go on a roller coaster, you know it's tested. Like the likelihood of anything actually bad happening is pretty much zero. When you watch a horror film, you're sitting on a sofa. You're not actually being chased down by a murderer. It's like this feeling of there's a risk, there's danger, but you're not in any actual danger. It's like play acting the danger in a safe environment. Is there an element of that in this as well? Yes. There's that element of of safe danger and control. Uh, you know, if the movie's too scary, you can turn it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the roller coaster's too scary, you can't really get off, but it, it'll be over really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the rise lasts a couple of minutes. Yeah. The same experience where it was actually dangerous would be no fun. Yeah. So definitely some of that. Um, except, of course, that some people do enjoy real danger. I spoke at a conference once in the U.S. where one of the other speakers did free slacklining. No, thank you. No, thank you. They tie up a slack line between two peaks uh, with hundreds of feet of drop mm. uh, in between them. And then she would slack line across with no uh, safety net, no supports. Uh, you can wear like a, a safety belt that's tied to the, the slack line itself. She did it without it. Um, and that's actually dangerous. That's very silly. She had tried regular slack lining and then that just wasn't, you know, interesting enough. Again, ultra marathons. Sure. <laughs> You do that. Okay. Go. Good for you. <laughs> I, don't, I will never do that. But thank you for enjoying yourself. I, bleh, bleh. So here's a, here's a fascinating thing. Uh, why are some people so attracted to fear, whether it be the safe kind or the unsafe kind? And have you ever heard about a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii? No, I don't think so. I'm very intrigued. So this is a parasite that in order to breed, it needs to get into the intestinal tract of a cat. It's the only way it can breed, right? Oh, is it like toxoplasmosis? Yeah, that's where toxoplasmosis comes from. I know the word toxoplasmosis. I don't, what was the, what was, so what did you say? Wait, what? <laughs> if you have this parasite in your body, you're most likely not going to even feel it at all. Mm. But you can develop toxoplasmosis, okay. which it's, it's usually very mild if you get any symptoms at all. It's like red eyes or something like that. Yeah. But anyway, the parasite can get into humans, but that's not where it wants to go. It wants to go into the intestinal system of a, a cat because that's where it can breed. And then it comes out with a, with the feces. Then mice eat that. And here's the thing. Then the parasite needs to get back into a cat. Yep. So mice who are infected with Toxoplasma gondii are not afraid of cats. When they smell cat pee, they're like, cool, no big deal. Yeah. And so this is why when it, humans get Toxoplasmosis, they take greater risks because the, to- the, the toxins have similar effect. The research on this is not definite yet, mm. but there is a lot of research that indicates it. For instance, if you look at people who are prone to road rage, more of them than the regular population have Toxoplasma gondii in their system. Mm, interesting. Um, if you look at entrepreneurs, researchers tested the saliva of nearly 1,500 students to see if they were infected with T. gondii. And they found that students who tested positive for the parasite were 1.4 times more likely to major in business and 1.7 times more likely to have an emphasis on management and entrepreneurship. Then they tested uh, 200 professionals attending entrepreneurship events. And those who tested positive for the parasite were 1.8 times more likely to have started their own business than other attendees. 
Do you know what this reminds me? Hmm? We have so little control over ourselves. Yeah. Like as a as a human self-determinism, like you don't know, you don't control anything. You might have toxoplasmosis and that's why you're in business school. Isn't that crazy? Like so little of the choices you make are deliberately made by the entity that you think of as yourself. And some of it might just be some weird thing that you have in your gut because you have a pet cat and you cleaned its cat litter one time. Exactly. We think we're in control and there are so many other things affecting us, including uh, weird parasites. There was a hilarious quote from one of the researchers into this. I think you should read this quote. Stephanie Johnson added that if people want to be entrepreneurs, these findings don't mean that they have to eat cat poop. If you're risky enough to want to eat cat poop, you're risky enough to risk a parasite that'll cause you schizophrenia. You're probably risky enough to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I like Stephanie Johnson. She's excellent. Yeah. Um, and by the way, this parasite is incredibly common. Uh, yeah. It varies from country to country. In Norway, it was about 9% of the population wow. who had it. In Brazil, it's about 60% of the population. What? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of entrepreneurs in Brazil, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> so I thought we should tie it back to the Bioshock episode where we already <laughs> talked about disgusting stuff and parasites yeah. and guinea worm. And now we have a new parasite on the show. Of course. Yeah. But it's one that's actually very interesting. I think, I don't know. I find I find the the more we discover how little self-control we have and how many our, our decisions are not ours, I find that fascinating and terrifying in equal measure. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. And that was a roller coasters and fear. <laughs> so, Katie, what do you what do you uh, have we increased your enthusiasm on roller coasters? Yeah, I think so. I think well, I I'm planning to come to hang out with you in Copenhagen. I feel like yes. when we do, we have to go to the roller coasters there, non optional. Maybe maybe demon can be optional. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna love the demon. The demon is amazing. But but you almost threw up, and I really don't like throwing up. <laughs> that was just the VR. You can do it okay. without the VR. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah, I'll yeah, do yeah. it sans VR. Um, yes. But yeah, I'm I'm like I'm interested. I'm intrigued. I also love that you use this as a way to talk about fear and the psychology mm. of fear. I think that's so cool, and it's such an like such an interesting way to talk about roller coasters. And thank you so much for broadening my horizons and using something as silly as roller coasters to talk about something as serious as human decision making. Yes. So where can a person go to learn more about roller coasters and or the psychology of fear? We're going to link to some cool stuff in the show notes. Uh, obviously, some great videos of roller coasters. You can uh, do a POV ride on the top thrill dragster and see what that's like. And of course, uh, go visit the RCDB. Uh, the roller coaster database, uh, yeah. figure out what's the tallest roller coaster in your country and go on it. And there are some really cool articles on the psychology of fear that we're going to link to as well. Nice. But most of all, go ride some roller coasters because roller coasters <laughs> are fun. Yes. And the more they scare you, the more fun they are. And just keep reminding yourself over and over again, this is fun. This is fun. This is, this fun. is fun. This, this is, fun. is fun. Yeah. And that actually works in a lot of situations. So, dear listener, where are you at on roller coasters? Do you like them? Do they scare you? What's the biggest roller coaster you've been on? Go to our website or Instagram at Electric Enthusiasm and leave us a comment. Fabulous. The moment of meta. We set ourselves a challenge in the last episode to each go find a magazine about a topic that we would not normally be interested in at all mm -hmm. and then see if we could find something there 
that made us enthusiastic about it. Uh, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. What do you get? So I've got the Post magazine uh, from South China Morning Post. It's like a, a lifestyle magazine, not something I'm normally inclined to read. This one seems to be mostly about art. They talk about some fancy pants galleries and some like design stuff. But the thing that actually got me really excited was this article here called Portrait of an Artist by Jason Wordy. And it's all about this portrait artist who went around Hong Kong in the late 40s, early 50s around people's homes and just did um, pastel drawings of them, portraits of them. Wow. He would just go around and just show up. He's kind of like a legend. Uh, his name is either Mr. Chan or Mr. Chow. No one's really sure. But he would just go around and do these drawings of people. But what's really exciting about that is that most of these people have now immigrated away from Hong Kong and brought these portraits with them. And so this journalist hunted down a bunch of these drawings from all over the world. So there's loads of pictures from this one artist, this one guy who would just wander around like the housing estates and just draw families. And they would pay him to draw them? Yeah. Or? And like he was very reasonable price. It was not like an expensive <laughs> extravagance. And so it was very affordable. So loads of people did them. And now these drawings exist all over the world, which I think is just such a cool, like little, like one little person made such a huge impact because of the way the global population immigrates around the world. And now there's these drawings from London to Toronto, which is so cool. Wow. But they still don't know who exactly he was or... No, his signature is a squiggle. <laughs> there is no writing. <laughs> and he would just like, he would just show up to your door. He would just knock on your door and be like, hi, here's some drawings I've done. Would you like me to draw your family? And he would do drawings of babies and families and couples. Um, and yeah. It's very cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Love that. That's a random little piece of Hong Kong history that made it around the world uh, and now on the podcast. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, that's, and also, I, I, I can't believe this. I really can't believe this. So I, I was looking at magazines on Kindle. I was looking at remote control cars. Was too easy. Uh, classic trains. Too easy. I should pick <laughs> like a really tough topic. Uh, you said he did pastel paintings yeah specifically pastels yeah. so i ended up buying a copy of pastel journal go away <laughs> go away <laughs> i'm Are serious you kidding me i'm serious going into this i knew that there was such a thing as pastel painting yeah. i didn't actually know what it was did you, did you know what what pastel painting is uh yeah i have a relatively artistic background growing up my my father like through art stuff at me to be like, Christmas, uh, this thing. Okay. Um, so I've owned pastels before and then never known how to draw with them. Right. And so what, what are they? They're like little sticks of chalky substance uh, in various colors. And like the second you touch them, the powder pigment gets onto your hands. So they're very messy, very fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you draw, you can like, you can either like draw lines with them and be very specific, or you can blend them out with like just your fingers. You can smudge them out to make them very soft colors. Um, yeah. I have no idea what they're made of. They're made of magic as far as I, I don't know what the substance is. I had no idea what it was. Uh, I had no idea what to expect of this art form. Um, so I picked up the magazine. It was, uh, was kind of interesting. There were three things that really spoke to me uh, about this. Um, I like the medium. These artists, they interview and they're like, I use this kind of paper and this kind of pastel. And it seems like you can do a lot with it. Yeah. Um, I like the variety of the art. 
A lot of it is, is like modern and expressive, but a lot of it is just unashamedly banal. It's like still lives and fruit and, yeah. you know, trees. And a lot of it is like really, um, classic in a way. And, and, and I don't, it doesn't seem like with, with this medium, like there's much of an expectation that you have to be edgy. Oh, or yeah. modern yeah. or challenge the status quo. The variety is amazing. It, it goes from like really expressionistic stuff to complete photorealism. Mm. Uh, there, there was one picture in there. I thought it was a picture of an artist. It was actually a pastel that, that somebody else had made. But another thing I liked was that there were several interviews in there with artists who had quit their full-time careers to become artists, to follow their passion, follow their enthusiasm. Nice. Uh, I thought that was great. And then there's a lot of great art in there. I want to show you just my favorite. I thought this was just lovely. Um, oh, that's so cool. Right? Oh, I love that one. Right? The body shapes are fabulous. I have friends who went to art school, and every time they do still life days, they always say they don't want, like, conventionally skinny, beautiful bodies. Like that's apparently really not fun to draw. Like bodies like this with curves and with muscle and with fat are way more yeah. beautiful and way more fun to draw. Yeah, it's just three people at the beach uh, wading into the sea, right? It's just this everyday scene, perfectly regular, normal sized bodies. Yeah. Uh, I like it, those just, just spoke to me. Um, yeah, it's yeah. lovely. What's the artist's name? This is Glenn Maxian. We're going to link to his website. And you can, uh, we're going to link to this particular picture Very of his cool. so you can see it. So, yeah, my world is now a little richer uh, for knowing what pastels are and seeing mm -hmm. some great examples of pastel art. So cool. That was so cool. I also love that we both found pastel. How? How? We're on opposite sides of the planet. <laughs> How? How? Crazy. Of all of like there was, and also this wasn't even a pastel magazine. This is just my most favorite article. Like I could have talked about a scam in Singapore or, or like interior design of something. I don't, how? <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Synchronicity. So weird. So yeah. weird. <laughs> so weird and so awesome. Hey, dear listener, I hope you're having a great time. Hope a very beautiful day. It's getting warm. The sun's out. It's glorious. I think you should take that glorious energy that you're having today and use it to tell someone you love about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it really helps us out. The number one way we grow is by having word of mouth. So take that glorious, sunny energy that you're getting this March and send it. Oh, wait, what if it's not March when this podcast comes out? Shit. <laughs> um, take that glorious sunny day energy that you're experiencing and pass the good message on and spread the enthusiasm for electric enthusiasm thank you and good night <laughs> that was amazing the shit that I come up with yeah, well, I, I love it so Katie if somebody liked this episode what other episode of ours do you think they'll enjoy I think they should check out ultramarathons um, <laughs> because I feel like that episode with Mark Dowds is clearly the one that fits the best of like this idea of people going to the extreme, going to the all, all the way in and doing the stuff that maybe we would not do ourselves personally, but we can appreciate mm -hmm. from our sofas with a cup of tea. Also, this episode had puking. Yes. That episode had puking and bleeding nipples. <laughs> You're going to step up. Step up. <laughs> step up. Exactly. <laughs> Dear listener, we hope you enjoyed sharing some of our enthusiasms in this episode. Please visit our website, electricenthusiasm.com, 
or find us on Instagram at Electric Enthusiasm to discover more episodes or leave a comment. And now, dear listener, go out and take a risk as long as that risk does not include eating cat poop. <laughs>